Welcome to another episode here at the Midnight Founders Podcast. We're so excited to be with you today. This is AJ Rounds from Rev Road and Jake McCarg from CB Vault. Here at the Midnight Founders Podcast, we focus on telling behind the scenes stories for what makes a successful entrepreneur. We're excited for another week. Here we go. Super excited this week to be on the show with Scott Schwab, a serial entrepreneur and a great friend and just an all around good person. So Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks, AJ. Appreciate it. So cool. Jake and I have been looking forward to getting you on here for a couple weeks now. I think we've had to reschedule a couple of times. No, it's been that a That one was my months, fault. <laughs> so no, we're, we're excited to finally have you. No worries. So cool. So Scott Schwab, right now you're in the CBD world. Yeah. And I said that and we're in this you know, ecosystem. <laughs> oh my goodness. And I'm sure you get a lot of responses when you say I'm in CBD. Yeah, we do. So tell us you know, 30 second pitch about what that is. Yeah, we'll ultimately... We had the same response that a lot of other people had. Is it bad? Is it good? Well, we've been building out a very clean and transparent, just full supply chain. And what that means is we're testing the soil down to the billionth particle. We're making sure there's no heavy metals, herbicides, fungicides, pesticides, insecticides. And we keep that level of discipline all the way through to the final product. And we're one of the only companies doing it through blockchain. So I can tell you within a square foot of where your plant was grown. I can tell you there's no impurities in the ground or that was put onto the plant. And that means a lot when people are concerned about their health. And so we just try to make sure that process is very clean, just like a garden-grown carrot, which also has cannabinoids. But that's our goal is really demystify the idea of hemp being marijuana because it's not. They're totally different genetics and just provide that clarity and peace of mind for people to utilize the product. Mm. So, and, and we've had previous conversations. I have a little bit of context here, but my understanding is not all hemp or CBD is created equal. And you kind of have to be careful because there's some really bad things out there that just are not well uh, documented and, you know, cared for like what you're talking about. So tell us about that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, great, great thoughts. I mean, when the Farm Bill initially came out, there was very few states that were able to participate, right? It was on a pilot program. But in 2018, it became federal. So they removed hemp off of the controlled substance list and made it to where it's legal, can go beyond state lines, it can be consumed. And the one caveat was is it had to be under 0.3% THC. Was oftentimes happens. What does THC mean? Okay. Yeah, THC is the uh, compound associated with like a psychedelic response. Or if you're going to get high, THC is the cannabinoid or the compound that's going to take you there. So the dilution element, how diluted it is, right? Yeah, correct. Okay. And so when you're dealing with a hemp plant, you're dealing with way more compounds outside of that initial THC. So CBD is one of the major compounds. But what we've learned is there's 113 total compounds. And so this plant is packed with nutrients like terpenes and flavonoids, has all these compounds that react or interchange Mm -hmm. with our endocannabinoid system that is in every mammal. And that's one thing that a lot of people are like, that sounds made up endocannabinoid system. And I'm like, look it up. It's like AI, right? (laughs) Crazy. Yeah. So that uh, really led us to some of the ideas of how can we create education and knowledge about this product and plant that's so incredible 
and get off of the narrative that this is bad for you or that you should have to check with your clergy or some type of a spiritual advisor because it's like this is a plant growing out of the, the ground. It doesn't have the psychoactive components like marijuana would, but let's do it in a way to where we take care of the plant, which is why we invest so much into that blockchain technology or supply chain that I talked about. A lot of companies will just buy their biomass or their oil from anywhere. So you don't know where it was farmed. You can't talk to you know any of your customers about how clean it is or the lack thereof. The other process that's hard or harsh on the plant is extraction. Because industry-wide, they're using ethanol, butane, hexane, even you know, CO2. As fillers? Well, just as extracting agents. Oh, interesting. So they oh. soak the plants in this, and then all you're doing is it's an aromatic plant, which means it's porous. Mm. And so anything you put on that plant is going to end up in your product. Now, extractors will say, hey, we remediate all that out. Well, can you really remediate all of the petroleum chemical based out of a plant that's a porous plant? And sometimes they'll do that by trying to strip out all of the nutrients and go to a powderized isolate. Well, now you're missing out on that full plant experience and all those nutrients that initially were there, but now are just in the form of an isolate. So sometimes people will be like, I tried CBD, it wasn't a great experience, or <laughs> I didn't feel anything, or it wasn't anything that I would return to because I didn't know what it was doing. Well, because of that endocannabinoid system, we're bound and determined to help you to say, hey, it has direct correlation with your mood. It has direct correlation with inflammation and bringing down that pain, inflammation, tie, or mm. tension. It also is very effective at restoring sleep cycles, mm. but it works with your body or supports your body and not just does the work on its own. They're symbiotic, mm. meaning like your phytocannabinoid is going to interact directly with your endocannabinoid. Mm. So that's really kind of the very organic and very yeah. It kind of works with your system because it's it's very natural. Yeah, you sounds like right. Yeah, you got it. So are you uh, the come? I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around how (laughs) how this is all working in your fake words that you're using. Uh, (laughs) But the uh, cannabis, (laughs) the endo cannabinoid system. I'm going to use that later and sound really smart to someone. Um, No, but my question is: Is are you are you like selling the oil, or are you direct to consumer with products? What? How do you? Yeah, great question. We, we determined that we had to be both. Okay. Right? We had to be the raw material provider. And so um, my business partner, AJ, who you know, uh, Mark Pittard, he married Huge shout out to Mark Pittard. He's awesome. He we love that amazing. guy. And so he married the farmer's daughter. And so we have access to this organic land that's so well taken Up in Idaho, care. right? But it's in Nyssa, Oregon, but oh, it's okay. right on the Idaho Pretty border. close, yeah. Yeah. And so that's where we felt like, okay, if we can control the farming aspect or support a better process within farming and store it correctly, those are some of the mistakes that really make the product really challenging to work with. Because if you don't store it right, it molds because it's coming out of the field at 14% moisture. Mm. So if you like hay, throw it in a pile, you're going to have mold and mold Mm. spores are very challenging to get out of a product. And so 
We rushed into this idea of, hey, the farm bill passed, everybody should jump on this CBD wa wagon, right? And many people did. There's well, hundreds. you see this explosion like yeah. everywhere. It's like CBD, the green cross all <laughs> over the place, right? Yeah. And so there's something there, and we're really like, very focused on helping people understand what it will do and what it won't do. Some people are like, it'll do everything. Just put it in your body. Cures <laughs> cancer. <laughs> and, and we're not there yet. I mean, everything that we do is tied to research. So when you ask, like, what side of the coin are we on, on the raw material or, you know, the finished product, we're on both just because we wanted to control our own destiny, which was how do you farm it, how do you harvest it, how do you store it, and then what processes do you have in place to make sure the superiority of the product at the end Awesome. Very cool. So, um, Scott, how did you get into CBD? Like, what was your journey to get here? This is such an interesting yeah. career path, you know? Yeah, great question. And uh, both of us have gotten to play in the education space. Mm -hmm. And I was at my last startup, and things were not like I had hoped they would. And I was frustrated. I wasn't able to do what I wanted to do. It and never happens on the Midnight Founders <laughs> podcast. So many entrepreneurs here, and they all have perfect records, 100 for 100. Uh, no, you're we, the first one. Yeah. <laughs> no, we talk about it all the time. Like, In fact, I think almost every single person on this show has had one of those experiences where they're like, oh, I learned a lot on that one, you know, yeah. <laughs> which is part of the journey, right? It really is. And, and so I love education. It'll always be something that I invest in and I'm involved in. But this particular entity, we were teaching people how to become software developers, but doing it in an accredited model. And we had had some good wins and we had some things going, but I continually found myself on the outside looking in. And I was like, what is going on? Like, I'm one of the founders. But oftentimes what happens is when you don't align with your partners and there's not clear communication, you can find yourself on the outside looking in. And I really didn't respond very well. I was critical, I mean, even somewhat public in my disapproval of my partner. And all it did was just made challenges for Bottega. And so that's one of the big things that I learned. But in that... Drove a wedge almost. Yeah, if you, it you did. Will. And... Um, it was during that time I had a friend that came to me and he's like, hey, you're a farm kid, right? And I was like, well, I grew up in Idaho, worked on farms. And he's like, would you introduce us to farms? We've got hemp that we want to, you know, grow. And I'm like, I'm not going to get involved with that. Like, I'm a dare kid. And like, <laughs> that's like, say no to drugs. I made a commitment. <laughs> <laughs> I still have that card in my wallet. <laughs> I still go into assemblies. And just sure the kids are. But no, um, at first I was very closed off to it. Um, but he said, just go and do your research and you'll find. And I did my research because I've been trying to solve problems of pain for a lot of years. When I was 15, I was paralyzed. And it was a, a disease called Guillain-Barre, where it Im impacts your myelin sheath. Oh, wow. Your inner workings of your nervous system, right? From your spinal cord or something? Uh, well, it's just you, you've got your receptors running throughout your entire body, right? And those are covered by a coating. Like if you think about electrical wire, mm -hmm. you've got that coating that protects your nerves. Well, when that coating dissipates or it dies, um, your nerves are exposed and start to die themselves. Mm -hmm. And so functionality and messaging are really impacted. And so I'm 15, I see myself in a wheelchair, I'm not able to walk, my hands are affected, I can't grip things. It was the weirdest experience. That oh, I bet that was I, scary. Oh, so scary. Yeah. 
And uh, the tender mercy is I, I have a dad that's a physical therapist. And so we got to spend a lot of time together, two-a-days, all this stuff, because all I wanted in my small mind was to get back to playing football. And all I wanted was to return to some functionality. And I've learned that the body is incredible because it may not necessarily get itself back to where you were, but sometimes that's better to find workarounds. And other times it's not better. But um, when I started to get about 37, 38, I had neuropathy. And I'm like, where in the world is this coming from? Like shooting fire down my legs and hot spots and pooling in my feet. And I'm like, what is this? And of course, neuropathy is something that you just get to live with. They can treat it within pain management and within you know synthetics or opioids. But I, I've got a family history that that's not a good path for me. And so I was like, I've got to find a natural source or a natural way of resolving some of these issues. If not, I'm going to be bound to a wheelchair or some type of a you know, non-functional life, sedentary lifestyle, just simply because like, I didn't deal with this pain or I didn't deal with these receptor-based challenges. Is this, is this residual from when you had it at 15? It is. So it's just coming back again. Yeah. How did you solve it the first time? You said you worked with your dad, but does that... Did that work yeah. through it somehow? Yeah, so great question. They actually treat you with a bunch of different steroids. So mine was gamma globulin. And what it does is it stops the advancement of the disease, but then your nerves still have to grow back. And they will do that. They'll grow back at about an inch a month. And so you'll have your nerves grow back, but in that time frame, you've lost all of your muscle. Everything's atrophied. Mm -hmm. And so getting out there and doing things that's what my dad and I were focused on is let's build muscle, let's get function, let's get you walking again, let's get you running again. And all those things came in time, but what I don't think any of us really realized at that time is your like neuro, neurological pathways, they're now damaged. And so if you don't treat them well, meaning get enough sleep, get the nutrients, and everything that your body is needing. No soda, dang it. <laughs> so it, it was just something that I had to understand, like <clears throat> life's going to be a little bit different, but it was the recovery cream that we have that has been like a saving grace for me. I put it on at night on the bottoms of my feet, and I can sleep. I don't have all the firing and all the like sensation that is just weird, restless legs. Um, and I can function through a workout and through the things that I love to do, hike, bike, get out in the outdoors, where without it, I'm less functional because everything hurts. It feels like you're walking on Legos. Mm. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, and that never happens at my house. <laughs> no way. So, so you can tell that big of a difference. Oh, yeah. Wow. 100%. Wow. So is that, is that, is that kind of the 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 best properties that CBD has to offer is kind of that neuro help, you know, or are there others? Cause I've heard, you know, it helps with anxiety and some of those things too. It will do Calming. everything. Remember? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Besides everything. solving cancer, <laughs> <and> curing cancer. <laughs> I know. Sorry. Dumb um, question. No, it, it really actually is a great question. And, um, when we first started into the CBD space, we wanted to understand what did know and what we didn't know. Yeah. There's still a lot that we don't know, but ultimately we started with a peripheral human cell and we inflamed those cells. And th so through a group that's local, Dr. Anthony Torres, he was at Utah State for 20, 20 plus years. Utah State, Aggies, yeah. there we go. 
But um, he did a, uh, a test on inflaming these cells and then treating them with products. Some was 100% CBD oil, some were full spectrum or broad spectrum, which the difference is just full spectrum includes the whole plant, so you'll have a trace amount of THC, whereas broad spectrum, we remediate out that THC for like your first responders, government workers, people that can't have that delta complex within their tests, right? And so when we looked at it, we were like, okay, what does this actually do? So that study led us to prove that we can bring down inflammation by 96%. And that was incredible to us. So we thought, okay, well, what else can it do? So now we're working with what we call our chief officer, chief medical officer, uh, Francisco Sidral. He's out of Florida. Nice. And a brilliant mind, but he is uh, leading us in our like uh, technical review on this paper, a white paper that followed on that study. And then he also has gotten us into more of the study on the endocannabinoid system. So we can speak educated to it. And we've got a literature review where he reviewed 5,000 papers and taught us or helped us to understand this is very good for mood either mood stability or mood enhancement. It's very, very good for that pain and inflammation, which we know, and it's very good for the circadian rhythms with sleep. Mm. And so those restorative factors seem to be most pronounced within the endocannabinoid system or what it actually controls within the receptors. Did you know, like, your, your dad was a physical therapist. Did you know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur, like, your whole life? Or is that something you kind of figured out when you were going to school? Or how did, how did that whole process start? Yeah, I um, saw my dad, and he, he struggled a lot through his entrepreneurship. Because though he was, you know, a professional or a, a medical professional, he still ran his own business. He ran his own clinic and did so for years and years and years. And in high school, I got to shadow him for a week, you know, kind of like, hey, go shadow something that you're interested in. And I immediately was like, this is not for me. Like, I, I'm not this guy. Why not? What did you not like about it? He, he was just constantly working, constantly busy, and constantly always trying to solve problems. And at the time, I was like, nah, that's not for me. It's a lot of work. Yeah, a lot of work, and I just didn't enjoy the skill set that he had, right? I, I wasn't really connecting with the skill set, although there was a fire that that lit in me because my dad was there a lot of times when other dads couldn't be. And it was fun for us to be able to take off some time when maybe other dads couldn't, right? And so certain aspects I really was like, man, this is great. Um, but it wasn't fast forward to when I was 21, when I really was like, Hey, I can do this and I can do it for more money and cheaper. I was working for a log home company. And so we would peel logs, peel the bark off of the logs. And then we would also go in and it's a process called chinking or caulking. Where, where was this? So it was up in Rexburg, Idaho. Oh, okay. Rigby, Idaho. Okay. Oh yeah. And I fell in love with the idea, like, I'm in control of what I charge. And I can bid these jobs out, still work my day job, but then have time in the evening to come through and do these additional services that people are willing to pay for. And I was like, wow, like, this gives me so much freedom. Light bulb. Yeah. So that was probably the moment when I saw myself as more than just a laborer, because I was just, you know, stacking logs and doing this stuff. And 
getting paid eight dollars an hour, which is great. <laughs> the days, right? We all have those moments. <laughs> I didn't have to work very long at the cabinet shop before I knew I wasn't going to be a cabinet maker <laughs> yeah, for my whole right? life. I was really allergic to sawdust, and yeah. like the first day my dad took me to the shop, I got hurt. So I think I knew early on that that was not like a long term future. Find for another me. career path. Yeah. For you, Jake. <laughs> I think my dad kind of pushed me out. He's like, "Hey, you got hurt your first day, and like this clearly is not for you." <laughs> It's great. Well, um, one thing I love about you, Scott, <clears throat> that I've always admired, actually, is you're a huge champion and 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 um, advocate, I should say, for other entrepreneurs. And for those of you in the audience that may follow Scott Schwab on LinkedIn, you're always constantly spotlighting different entrepreneurs and different areas and what they do. And and these are these are lifestyle businesses. These are scaling businesses. These are mom and pop businesses that have been around for, you know, 50 years. So why do you do that? And what, what, I mean, how does that help fulfill you in doing that? Cause it's just a, such a cool thing that you're doing. Yeah. Thank you, AJ. That's very nice of you. Um, for me, it's telling the story. I think I've fallen in love over the years of the story. Win, lose, learn something. The story is like where it's at. And that's why I love your guys's podcast because it's not scripted. So I couldn't make it about one type of an entrepreneur, although you'll see themes throughout the years, but I really wanted it to be about everybody. And the thought that I've had over the years is, are you born an entrepreneur or are you made an entrepreneur? And I think either can exist, honestly. Um, some are born into it. Some are really just like really driven by the idea that they're going to become something. But that's the cool part of the story. And so it's meeting people learning what they're going through, learning what they've had to solve, and then to put themselves into a scenario where they can support themselves or support others in this business. And sometimes that's a couple employees, and sometimes that's thousands of employees. And that's what I've loved is like getting into the nitty gritty of like what that like story is. So that's really what drives me. It's not a monetization for me. I've thought one day about starting a podcast, but like you guys, I don't even know how you manage the time to do it because I'm just like, I have no time. Thankfully, we have a great team that helps us, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, co-hosts help, and then Dalton, our amazing producer, helps a ton. That's right. Shout out to Dalton Carson. <laughs> we usually do it at the end, but we'll just do it right now. <laughs> That's right. we got a great uh, social media team, and a lot of folks help out with this. Yeah, we couldn't do it without our team supporting us. Sure. Um, I mean, Scott, he, he lives it. You're right. Uh, like we usually ask after the show's over for uh, referrals for people that should be on the show. And like before we even started, he was like, hey, I've got a list of people that you really need to highlight. So love like that. he is a living yes. embodiment of that. Yes. So I love I love that. And I love what you're doing and, Thank you. and you know, how supportive you are in that ecosystem. Um, obviously, you've already shared some lessons uh, from your journey. Um but as you as you look back at um, your first startup and now this one, um, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs that are just getting started? It's a really great question. I think that everyone should start in a phase where they do research. I think so often we have ideas and we have opinions, but in many ways we haven't gone to market and made sure that there's a product market fit. And so until you know if there's a product market fit, 
you really are a wantrepreneur. And I don't think that needs to be an offensive like statement or classification because I'm a wantrepreneur. Like there's many things that I want to do. But if we look at the root of where entrepreneurship comes from, it comes from a French word and it's to try. And so ultimately entrepreneurship is about trying and like solving problems. Again, like your guys' platform or your focus on what are you solving? Are you a problem solver? Because I think that's what entrepreneurship really is when you boil it down. But can you find a product market fit? And can you surround yourself with the people that can have that network effect? Meaning like people are going to jump on board. Like there's certain things like right now I'm looking at your what you're wearing, AJ. Rev Road hat, really synonymous with entrepreneurship, startup, incubation, getting people, getting companies to that next stage. Dirty Dough. Basement to buyout, right? Right? <laughs> and Dirty Dough, great brand. They're winning in so many ways with some of these cookie wars that we hear about or that we're seeing. And it's just because they've got a network effect, but they also had the product market fit, just like Rev Road had the product market fit before you ever went after like this huge business goal where you have to raise money to support it or you have to do certain things. Never limit your options. And if you have a great idea of where your business is and a plan to support it, well, your business, biggest problem isn't money. Your biggest problem is making sure that you're tied in and that people want your product. Because if you create enough value, you'll always have work. You'll always have business. You'll always have customers. Yeah. And then there's a willingness to pay on top of that. Yeah. Because some people even want your product, but until they're willing to pay for it, you don't necessarily have that product market fit. Yeah. Wow, Scott, well said. We need to have you at RevRoad and <laughs> give some trainings because that's uh, that's the philosophy we embody 100%, and I love that. Cool. Yeah, we hear about validation all the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's it's crucial, and and I think a lot of people, uh, we've, we've heard so many horror stories about trying to do validation and, and not going to the right source or not doing it the right way. So or enough it can sink it. you really fast. That's right. That's when right. I think oftentimes we kind of push back against failure, right? Like this is beautiful to me. This is what I want to start. What if nobody else likes it? So we either get that analysis paralysis where we take it to nobody or we don't really get all of the feedback we need to because friends and family are great. But at the end of the day, they're probably not going to be your customers. So go outside of that and really get that hardcore truth so that you can respond. Because if, if you want to start this business, if it's, if it's that important for you, if you feel it in your heart and your soul, you've got to find those feedback loops that may be uncomfortable and, quite frankly, will cause you to change and pivot, which is what you need to do within a business because your first idea will not be the business you're running in a year, two years, five years. It's just, you, you have to change. You have to solve the problems. Constantly. Yeah. So. Constantly. So Scott, what you're saying, and I know this is going to be newsflash to a lot of our listeners, but <laughs> your mom is not your best audience. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> I think they're going to look at your business with the same lens you do. They're <laughs> yeah. not, they, they are not, you know, separated from it <laughs> <Yeah>. enough. <laughs> but what you said is so true. I mean, you have to get out of that friends and family um, uh, bubble because they're going to tell you what you want to hear. And sometimes I think that's part of the problem is you're so afraid to hear the actual feedback that you kind of block it out mentally. And that's 
harmful and damaging to your business later on. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't even allow you to even launch. Yep. So very cool. Um, Scott, what, um, what, what advice, um, first of all, I want to ask, well, I'll ask this in a minute. What advice would you give to other entrepreneurs? But what advice, what advice have you received as an entrepreneur that's really been pivotal or helpful in your career? It's made all the difference. Yeah, thank you for asking that question. I, I personally think that we've got to surround ourselves with a community, and that community starts with whoever is in your household, right? They've sometimes got to be your biggest champions, and sometimes they're going to have to give you the tough love. Like, I admire and adore my wife for so many reasons, but she is the thing that keeps me going. Like, every day, all day, she's just, I know she's supporting me. Like, I've never doubted her support. And so that helps me get through some of the dark hours that all of us have when we go home, we cry, and we get angry, and we yell. Like, those are real emotions that you're going to feel in entrepreneurship. And so I think that you've got to have that support group because if you don't have a spouse on board, it's not worth an eventual strain on a marriage or a strain on a partnership or whatever it might be. So I, I think you start there. And then I think you look a layer outside of your home, which is who are the people that I respect, mentors. So back to the question you asked, mentorship, you've got to have people in place who can tell you and you respect what they're saying as gospel, right? There's things that you know, there's things that you don't know and having somebody with a vantage point that can help you like avoid the landmines but then also help encourage you and say, you're getting traction, you're doing well. But I, I think mentorship is really overlooked at a lot of times because it's like, hey, this is my idea. I've got all these great ways of implementing it. Well, you don't know market factors, you don't know external factors, and sometimes they're gonna be internal factors with people. Like, are you an expert in people? Are you an expert in transactional like processes? Like, there's so many things that you're gonna have to implement from websites to shopping carts to whatever your business is going to require and you can't possibly be the best at everything so mentorship one number two surround yourself with the best people because those best people are better than you are and you need to just get used to people being better than you but not being threatened by them like letting them come in and build a business that's better than you could on your own yeah, not all entrepreneurs are good at that. I love that. That That is a really hard skill to finally master. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I don't think first-time entrepreneurs are especially good <laughs> at that. I think sometimes second-time entrepreneurs are a lot better at yeah. finding mentors and, and taking that feedback and advice. Fall on your face once or twice and then yeah. it starts to... Yeah, it, seems to, it starts to humble people a little, yeah, I think. Yeah, it helps a lot more. Yeah. Um, okay, I have a question. So uh, what, like... We, I want to bring it back to your current company because I'm still really fascinated, even though you're using tons of words I don't understand. <laughs> um, how, like, are you selling products today? Like, can we, can we buy the products directly from the farm or how, how does that work? Yeah, great question. So we process them through from the farm and then we have two partners. One is in West Valley and they do our extraction. So all of those harmful extractions that I mentioned, we do something called hyperbaric extraction so it's only a little bit of heat and a lot of negative pressure so what you're doing is in effect making that plant sweat out the essential oils that are included in it amazing process but you don't have to use solution to get that oil out 
Just so, like a vice kind of scenario? Um, or you're... No, just like imagine, have you ever been in a hyperbaric chamber? It's essentially like negative so. energy or negative like ozone effect of where it's helping oh, your okay. body to recover and restore or uh, releasing toxins, right? Mm-hmm. So same type of a concept. And then that goes over to our manufacturer who's also in West Valley and they take those products in their pure form or in their oil form, distillate form. And then that's what we put into the products. The products then come to us and we then distribute them online. And currently right now we're about a 70-30 mix of direct to consumer, 70 and 30% being retail. So uh, we've got 75 points of distribution, and they're in like your grocery stores, like local Good Earth, Redmond Heritage Farms. They're in your chiropractic offices, your physical therapy offices, your DOs, these medical professionals that see the benefit of utilizing it at home treatment or within the care there at the office. How many different product lines do you have? So we have 24 different SKUs. Okay, wow. Yeah. And the company is Met, M-E-T-T, correct? Met and Met Naturals. Met and Met Naturals, yeah. okay. So the distinction is Met is everything raw material to the point of extracted finished goods. And then those finished goods are Met Naturals. Got it. What what's the what does the future look like for the CBD industry? What's yeah. next? I'm, I'm glad you asked. And, and some of it's going to be defined outside of our control, which is why we need to stay nimble, which is why we need to stay as compliant as possible. Because the FDA has continued to push off the responsibility to make it a you know a certifiable product for the use and consumption of give humans. their stamp of approval essentially. Yeah. So, interestingly enough, one product has been FDA approved, and it is for seizures. And so, seizures or the interruption disruption of receptor signaling is one thing that the FDA has said, hey, okay, you've got all the data, we're going to approve this. So there is one cannabinoid or CBD-based business or uh, CBD-based formula that is approved. Recently, they kicked that back to Congress and said, Congress, give us something that makes sense as to how we keep people safe. And I don't think that the safety is the concern as much as what is going to get a person psychoactively high versus what is going to treat a person who's looking for ailments of reducing headaches, reducing migraines, balancing or giving that holistic balance back to the person. Because we're in an environment where all day long we're exposed to toxins, everything from what we experience in our environment to what we eat, everything. And so the future of CBD will somewhat be defined by Congress. And I'm okay with that because I think that there's a space where we can uh, obviously run our business. But where I think CBD needs to go, which is where we're headed, is we have a DNA collection kit. And we've worked with a, a company called Guidance Genetics for us to be able to utilize their DNA tests to pull eight different markers from the genome to be able to provide guidance and direction for a person on how do you metabolize CBD? Like, what is your chronotype? What is your, like, stress factor or stress quotient? How are you uh, responding to pain? Some of those things that genetics can tell us a really great story, and that's where I feel like CBD or all cannabinoids have a place within personal care, family care, and a lot of areas where we are kind of guessing or hypothesizing that certain 
components of the plant are going to be good for this. Like a lot of people take hemp hearts or cook with hemp seed oil or whatever, right? There's benefits there, but what's specific to AJ or what's specific to Jake? Like if I could give you this test and provide you exact clarity on your dosing, on the cadence Mm -hmm. and on what is your specific like needs, call it category of Mm -hmm. product needs. Um, we can reach those in different ways, right? There's the sublingual drops. A lot of people like that, and it's quick into your system because of the mucous membrane located underneath the tongue. Some people like to chew it, so they like gummies. Other people would like to take a capsule, and that's more of a time-release, slow-release into the body. And so if I can show you and give you that clarity, and we can really solve these problems that you're having, whether it be anxiety, stress, some form of like a natural approach or a natural solution to real problems that we're all facing today, that's where CBD needs to go. So it's almost a customized approach to your body makeup and how CBD can help with that. Yeah, you got it. So interesting interesting because it's like, I think part of the the bad uh, reputation that CBD, it's almost like you buy it at the gas station. Like, you know what I mean? Like it just feels like this, Dark shady. Like, yeah. And if yeah. it's like, hey, get this DNA test and we'll get you a dose that actually works for you. Uh, my wife had some genetic testing done for a medication she was going to take and it's been life changing for her. And so, you know, there's these things that could change people's lives. And so I think, you know, uh, I think having Congress at least make some rules around it can can formalize it and make it feel less scary to a lot of people. Yeah. Well, and I think also, Scott, you're doing the right thing. I mean, you're taking the high road on the way that you're extracting it, storing it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then also your branding is very much like a, not a pharmaceutical, but it's just very high end, you know, professional, safe, that kind of feel, right? So it's not, it's not what's like, what Jake, you're referring to, it doesn't feel like that dark alley, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know, <laughs> midnight, you know, kind of purchase that, yeah. that, that you think about or you know, comes to your mind when you think about CBD. Yeah, thank you. What, um, okay, let's, we need to wrap up here, Scott, but what, um, this is the Midnight Founders Podcast. So we're talking about how, you know, founders have to do whatever it takes to make their business work, even if it's at midnight and you're just working all through the night, right? Yep. Tell us a story that would embody that, philosophy that comes to mind? Yeah, great question. So one of the things that is pretty fresh on our mind is when it's harvest, it it doesn't matter what you've got going on in your life, you've got to be at the farm. And so Mark bears a lot of this weight because he's up by the farm. He's about 30 minutes from the farm. But we've had times where we have to take the plant out of the field at an exact time. So state test comes along, they're going to test it for the percentage of the THC. But if you get hot or if it goes above the 0.3, you have to burn your whole field. Like you don't have the ability to have a margin of error. If you scrap it entirely. Yeah. And so we can't do that. We're a small business. And so like, last harvest we had to get up to the farm and we had to do a lot of the labor ourselves i mean the farm's very well equipped with labor and with people who are helping in some of the processes like 
we're not farmers, right? I'd like to think I am. <laughs> like Wanna be, right? <laughs> at the end of the day, we just have to jump in. And so whether that's hauling biomass to and from Utah for processing, whether that's getting out in the field and under headlights, you're actually taking the hemp plants out of the, the field. All Which are you things. digging out? You're like derooting yeah. or yeah, you're you cutting can, them? Yeah, you can derooting them. There's certain varieties that are going to grow like a Christmas tree, and you, you just can't pull out the root ball. And so you have to cut them with a handsaw or a chainsaw. And so it, it depends on the variety that you go to. We, we've made some pretty pivotal changes so that we could grow more and use less land. One of the great things about hemp that a lot of people don't know is that one acre of hemp will actually produce more oxygen than about 20 acres of forest. It is an oh. incredible plant as far as nutrients into the soil and nutrients up into the land, or, or excuse me, up into the air. And so for us, it's let's build the most sustainable process so that when the time comes that, you know, manufacturers are opening up to textiles and to making plastics and things like that, we're ready with the byproduct where we can start utilizing that into a number of different industries. Man, it's a completely separate channel. That's so fascinating. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, very cool. All right, so how do people find you? Yeah, so they can find us on all of the social medias, met.naturals. They can find us online at metnaturals.com. And uh, ultimately, we want to connect with people. So we find ways to get involved with our community and so I think the best way is probably online and then look for events where we're going to be out at retailers or just out doing events. It's a huge, there's a huge educational component to this, isn't there? Yeah. Cool. And funny enough, uh, speaking of Utah State, we're working on a Hemp 101 course as we speak. <laughs> awesome. That's so cool. That we can share this knowledge and share this information within a collegiate type of an environment. So and it becomes more mainstream at that does. point. It does. And I think people tend to trust what comes from universities. And so we uh, definitely want to support that messaging as it flows to community education and continued education. And so that's where we're start. Like that's where we're working right now. The Aggies are a perfect partner for that. They are. 100%. Jake and I are both on the board up there at the Huntsman School of Business, the entrepreneurship, uh, the Center for Entrepreneurship, and so we, we love what they're doing up there. Yeah. They're very forward-thinking in a lot of those kind of things. Yep. So, Scott, so good to have you here on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. We're excited to see what uh, what's next for Matt <laughs> and for everything else you're doing. Thank you very much. The Midnight Founders Podcast is a podcast about entrepreneurship that is hosted by CB Vault and Rev Road. CB Vault is the entrepreneur arm of Central Bank. And Rev Road is a venture services firm where companies come to grow. Thanks for listening to us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is AJ and Jake signing out.